You're joining the conversation with Shortlisted, a podcast from the Greater Midwest Chapter, or GMC, the Association of Proposal Management Professionals. We chat about proposals and the business of winning work and nailing the shortlists in our lives. I'm your host, Paul Lockwood, a Senior Sales Operations Analyst at the Vitality Group in Chicago. And I'm co-host Heather Finch. I lead a proposal and presentation solution team for Guardian Life, and I'm out of Milwaukee. This month, we're having a chat with Katie Stutzman. Hi, Katie, you wanna introduce yourself? Hello, happy to. Uh, like Paul just said, I'm Katie Stutzman. I'm a proposal manager for a company called Burns & McDonnell um, out of Kansas City, Missouri, but I work from my home office in Northwest Indiana, um, a little bit outside of Chicago. Cool. And Katie is currently serving on the board for the Greater Midwest Chapter of APMP, and she produces yes, this podcast. We are very grateful for all of her help. Like many proposal managers out there, she's served in many marketing and communication functions, and she's kind of a jack-of-all-trades. So first off, how and why did you choose proposal management as a career? I think like many of us out there, I did not know it existed, and I kind of fell into it. Um, I have a marketing communications degree with a writing focus and had always really pictured myself working in a journalism type of field, internal communications, a lot of stuff that had to do on the right, writing heavy end of the spectrum. So when I graduated college, I worked in a couple different spots. I worked for a newspaper for a little bit. I worked for a pharmaceutical company for a little bit on an innovation team. I was an executive assistant at a couple of places. Um, I think that that's one of the, the hazards of graduating 2008, right at the uh, tail end of a recession. So kind of just took me a little bit to uh, figure my way around. And before I joined proposal management, I mentioned a pharmaceutical position. Um, I was working on an innovation team where I was responsible for communicating initiatives around change management and crowdsourcing ideas for operational improvements. So we would issue challenges to internal employees and then reward them if their ideas were implemented or if they saved the company money. I was doing a lot of social media posts, a lot of updates to our website. I produced a vlog, so not quite a podcast, but a video version. And just really got my hands um, involved in a lot of different types of dynamic type of communication where we needed a lot of feedback from people and we were trying to meet expectations. So when that job ended, um, it merged with another company and my position was eliminated. I, on a whim, applied for a proposal specialist position or coordinator position with a civil engineering company. Had no idea what it was about, but knew that it included a lot of the things I liked to do in terms of writing, investigation type of journalist reporting, document design. So a lot of the skill sets I had really honed over probably seven or eight years prior to taking on a proposal role, but just not in a formal way. Uh, I had to do a lot of training, um, APMP certification, Shipley training, and thankfully it landed with a company that put a lot of value in that type of thing and sent me off to federal proposal writing courses and all that fun stuff. So even though you were with pharmaceuticals, uh, they didn't exactly, uh, it wasn't the case where they drug you into this position. They did not drug me at all. Nope. I volunteered without knowing what I was getting myself into. <laughs> 
Which I, you know, that that may be a, a theme of of this conversation and in, in general. And you know, Katie, I uh, I was lucky enough to attend your talk at BPC about. Um, you know, using the the concept of like magazine layouts mm-hmm. to really make proposals pop. And um, I know, you know, in addition to to that, in, in your kind of uh, you know interesting little career path and having all different kinds of experience, you're into art, you're into photography. Um, how does all of that influence the way that you manage proposals? Yeah, I was always an artsy kid. I mean, since I was little, I liked to draw, I liked painting, and not to toot my own horn, but consider myself to have a pretty artistic eye. So when I graduated college, I mentioned that winding career path, executive assistant types of things. I was looking for ways um, to fill that creative outlet that I wasn't necessarily getting at work. So taught myself photography and became a wedding photographer for a few years. Um, When I was in college out of my dorm room, I would take um, commissions for hand-drawn pencil portraits, those types of things, and ship them out from my dorm room, and have always kept up on those things as personal side hobbies. So regardless of the type of position or industry I've been in, I've always really gravitated towards arts and like a visual interest. And then you couple that with some of my more formal work experiences, like working for a newspaper, or I worked for a hospital as an internship um, in college, and I was designing documents for print that would go up around the hospital and things like that. And all of those design types of elements really gave me a foundation for Adobe Creative products. I'm a huge fan of InDesign. I think that presentation you mentioned, Heather, I sing its praises uh, just because I think that it ends up being a pretty efficient tool and it gives you a lot of flexibility in terms of laying documents out that are kind of hard to do or maybe more restrictive in word, especially when you've got a lot of participants and authors and things like that. So I've really used some of those individual lanes that I've explored over the last few years and kind of combined them all into what I would consider a unique perspective or at least a unique approach when it comes to managing proposals. I like the visual first, and then I use the visual pieces to really encourage my teams to talk about client focus. And hey, if you were the client and you were opening up a proposal document, we talk about single-sided versus double-sided pages. I know that seems like such a weird thing to talk about upfront in a proposal, but almost from the very beginning, I'm talking about what the client experience is gonna look like and how are we meeting what they're expecting from us, or even better, surprising them. So being able to open up a document, a physical hard copy document, or maybe open it up just on the screen because we're emailing it. Um, What's that experience going to look like and how can we make the most of how people look and experience physical pages in a way that sells our solution or our team better than than other companies um, or other teams. So I think about it all the time when I'm looking at menus at restaurants, when I'm standing in the checkout line at the grocery store, and where are my eyes landing on pages that really entice me or draw me in or try and influence my behavior to get me to buy a product or to take action in some way. And I try to apply those same things to what I want our clients to experience when they receive a proposal from us. To uh, some success and some not so successful things, especially when you work with teams who who want to pack as much content as possible into a page. It can be really challenging to, to convince people to see it your way. Um, and why would words not matter as much as a call out box or a graphic or a photo on, on a page? So it's a lot of 
strategy and talking about why things make sense versus the other. Well, with the with the stress of proposal management, um, it seems like the uh, pencil portraits would be especially helpful because you can get the lead out. <laughs> that I can. I think my family and friends are probably sick of it because I'm one of those people who gives handcrafted items for Christmas and holidays and birthdays. And I think um, almost every single friend of mine has a piece of artwork in their home and it does give some relaxation or at least forcing your mind away from the stress of the, the everyday grind. Do you consider yourself um, someone who has to be in control all the time? Or are you kind of a control freak of sorts? I think most people who are proposal managers are control freaks to some extent because we tend to be pretty high performers and uh, people who take a lot of personal ownership over products, especially when it means revenue for your company or when it means the continued success or growth of a team and you're responsible in some way for your fellow coworkers having jobs or you know clients awarding us work in the future based on current performance and things like that. So I take it really seriously that I'm responsible for those types of things. And I always want to do a good job. Um, so proposals can sometimes be the worst type of group project, in my opinion. You've got a lot of cooks in the kitchen sometimes, herding cats. That's always everyone's favorite phrase. And I really keep an iron fist on a lot of those things. Um, one, to minimize risk. I don't want to put myself in a position where I'm having to pull an all-nighter the night before something's due. I've been burned too many times throughout my career where trying to step in and fix something at the end when I could have avoided that in the beginning. Um, and I, I feel like control freak is a positive rather than a negative in situations like this. Yes, you want to be flexible. You want to be collaborative. But I really try hard to point people in the direction where they add the most value. Um, so technical authors, graphic designers, subject matter experts, those types of people. I try to really give specific assignments so people don't get too in the weeds on things that cause roadblocks. Um, so yeah, I, I consider myself very much a control freak slash uh, conductor of that whole process in ways that hopefully are helpful to the teams that I work with. Um, the, flip side of all of that is being able to take a deep breath and not drive myself crazy or get too deep into something that all of a sudden I'm the only person who has ownership of all of the pieces. That's something I run into all the time where I end up taking on way more than I should. Um, one, trying to be helpful to other people. Two, sometimes I do feel like I could do a better job than maybe a team member and it's hard for me to let go of that trust occasionally. You hey, I think some. we should be moving on to our <laughs> second segment here. I'm sure thing. much of a control freak myself. But the best thing that happened to you this month. So we'll start with you, Heather. What was the best thing that happened with you this month? So it's about to happen. Um, of course, by the time that, that this is released, it, it will have happened. But tonight um, I am uh, hosting a local meetup for APMP um, folks in the Milwaukee area. And I am so excited, I, I, I am giddy with excitement to see some familiar faces. Um, I was happy, like just through the whole process of getting the RSVPs and I, I'm gonna get to meet some new people that I, that I haven't encountered before and um, see some people that I haven't seen in a while. So I'm just, I'm, I'm really 
excited about that. So that's that's the best thing that will happen to me this month. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Katie? I've had a lot of really good things happen to me. Um, my coworkers, I'm sure, are sick of hearing about it, but I'm getting married in just over a month. I get married in November, and I had an opportunity to go to Kansas City to do some team building type of stuff, um, a client event with my team. And as a surprise, one of the evenings, what I thought was going to be a team dinner, they actually took me out for a mini bachelorette event, which was a lot of fun, um, being able to be around coworkers and just let loose a little bit, not too loose. Um, but just being able to see people in an environment you're not used to seeing them and have a lot of really good laughs. We played bingo um, at Hamburger Mary's in, in Kansas City, and it was a whole lot of fun. So it just meant a lot that they took the time to do something nice for me when they didn't have to. And hopefully it was something that um, we all appreciated, just a minute of levity and, and humor. And I'm sure that that was a place where you could sit on your buns and just relax. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Hamburger Mary's, sit on your buns. <laughs> Moving along, um, best thing that happened to me this month, I auditioned for a new adaptation of A Christmas Carol that's going to be staged here in Woodstock, Illinois for three weekends in November and early December, and I made it into the cast. This new version has Elizabeth Scrooge and Alice Cratchit instead of Ebenezer and Bob, so I'm not playing either of those parts. <laughs> But I am going to portray Jacob Marley, the ghost that first appears to Scrooge. He's Elizabeth's late mentor and partner. So I hope I have a ghost of a chance at pulling it off. And pulling the costume and makeup off, for that matter, since I'm also playing the part of Old Joe, the guy in the second act who's willing to buy secondhand goods. Those secondhand goods aren't clocks, but... Things like the uh, bed curtains Scrooge leaves behind when he dies in the uh, spirit of Christmas yet to come scene. There's humor, there's sadness, and yes, there's still the beloved Tiny Tim, and not the one who sang Tiptoe Through the Tulips years ago, but the little guy. Uh, there are also uh, even going to be Christmas carols, not Carol Burnett or Carol King or Carol Channing, but holiday songs sung by the kids in the cast. And there are spirits, too. Not alcoholic ones, but uh, rather the uh, Christmas uh, past, Christmas yet to come, and the one that's a real gift, Christmas present. We're in the early stages, so to speak, of the rehearsal process, and I have a good amount of dialogue to memorize, but I'm looking forward to this, the first time in three years that I've been acting on stage in a full-length play for live audiences, and honestly... I just hope I don't scrooge things up. I'm sure you're going to be great, Paul. Thank you. It's very exciting. It's very exciting. Well, next up, um, we have our Dear GMC segment. So Dear GMC is, is your opportunity to submit questions and get advice from fellow proposal professionals. Dear GMC, recently a sales partner called my proposal the pretty pages that go with the quote. I can't begin to express how dismissive that felt. How can I show my value beyond the aesthetics of the document? Sincerely, Val Eubel. So Katie, I'm going to hand this one over to you. I mean, you know, you already described how, um, you know, the, the aesthetics to the document, it goes beyond um, just 
looking nice, but really feeding into the customer experience. So any thoughts that you have for Val to, to help show the value? Oh man, I've got a bone to pick with Val actually, because <laughs> I have heard this quite often over my career. I think that a lot of people feel that proposals are real estate at a premium. They want to make sure that they've got a lot of good content that they want to get in front of a client, a lot of technical narrative, at least in the industry that I work in on the engineering architecture side of the, um, the world. And it can be really tough to get people to realize that there's value in the aesthetic versus just the content and the narrative. So I think that one of the first things that I do when I get pushback from somebody or if someone's not necessarily seeing some some value to, to what I'm offering or what I'm suggesting is to show a side by side of here's what we've got right now. Here's what it could look like if you were the client, which one is more appealing to you? And sometimes using the analogy of you eat with your eyes first will get people to kind of understand that something's got to look appealing and attractive for you to want to take a bite out of whatever is being offered, right? And if it says the exact same thing, why wouldn't you go for the more attractive one? What can it hurt us to go for something that looks a little bit better if that's increasing our chance of a client or customer actually staying on the page to figure it out what we're trying to sell or what we're trying to offer? Um, so sometimes my strategy is taking some really dense content and pulling nuggets out without eliminating that stuff and instead trying to find a new way to get it on the page, whether it's a call out box, whether we can turn it into a caption underneath a photo and finding ways to enhance what people are saying or presenting versus scrapping it. I think that that's what feels threatening to a lot of people um, like Val is that, you know, they don't want to lose the good stuff that they've already put time and attention to. And I don't want them to lose that either, but how can we make sure it doesn't get lost with the rest of the stuff on the page? And if anything, I don't think people push back against that. I think that they don't like the amount of time that that takes um, for something to be pretty. I think a lot of technical people sometimes underestimate the amount of time it takes to design a page or the thought that goes into actually reading through dense content and figuring out what nuggets to pull out of there. Um, it, it takes time just like anything else. And I think some people aren't always super appreciative or aware of it if that's not where they play, you know, if that's not where their their background is. So for people like Val out there, like I said, my best strategy is always the side-by-side -side comparison and saying, hey, if you had to pick or if you had to score us based on nothing else besides what this document looks like, which would you pick? 99% of the time, they're going to pick something else or you engage a third party person to say that for you, right? A subject matter expert or somebody else to say, hey, you're looking at this blind. What jumps out at you on this page? And if they can easily find the top things we want them to get out of our proposal at a glance, I've proven my point enough to uh, satisfy the vows of the world. Paul, what do you think about that conundrum? The phrase pretty pages is definitely I, I would hear that as as a as a put down of all of the effort that went into the document, um, and I would I, I I go along with everything that, that Katie is saying. Um, I'm not as visual a person. I'm more of uh, a a what's the content, and are we get are we answering all of the questions of this RFP? Are we 
answering them in a positive way that um, is honest and yet uh, maybe doesn't highlight areas where we don't shine as, as brightly. Um, and I would say to this person saying it's pretty pages, have you actually read what's on these pages? Or have you just leafed through it and said, oh yeah, they're pretty pages? There's a big difference. And the people who are going to be evaluating uh, our proposal compared to our competition are going to be looking at both content and the overall look of it. So it may be pretty, but it's also very meaty. And so it's 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 attractive to our prospect both on the outside and on the inside. Yeah, I you know, I think anytime that I think about showing value, um, you know, whatever side that you're you're arguing, the the value of uh, the proposal professional, right? is thinking about you know using your your APMP membership using any certifications using um those uh those tools as leverage to say like this sense and I'm not just making this stuff up like like there's real evidence behind what I'm doing there, there's reasons behind my techniques um and and even you know spelling that out so maybe when you're sending out a document for review to say you know at a high level I'm incorporating, you know, you sales partner, your strategy into the document in, in these ways. You'll notice, um, you know, that uh, throughout the executive summary, I highlighted X and, um, you know, throughout the, the statement of work, I, I highlighted Y. So really, I mean, showing how what you're doing is helping that sales partner win mm -hmm. the business. Um, you know, I think anytime it, that you you have to show your value. It's like thinking from the perspective of that person and and showing the value from from their perspective. So, great question. Um, you know, and and definitely if there are others out there that have questions, um, you can access um, the the Dear GMC uh, form on our website. You can submit a question there, and it might get answered um, by writing or on our podcast. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Shortlisted and that you'll join us next month. And just a quick disclaimer and reminder, the advice offered in this podcast is intended for informational and entertainment purposes only. Use of this podcast is not intended to replace or substitute any financial, medical, legal, or other professional advice. This podcast, its hosts, and APMP GMC are not responsible for the outcome or results following any advice in any given situation. You and only you are completely responsible for your actions. Thank you, Heather. For now on your final list of podcast favorites, we'd love to hear from you. Email our producer and special guest this episode, Katie Stutzman at kstutzman at gmcapmp.org. To all those winning business out there, on behalf of me, Heather, Katie, and all of us in the greater Midwest chapter, we'll GMC you next time on Shortlisted.